Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Dr. John Demartini, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I am super excited about today's podcast. I've heard your name so many times and I've been recommended, but I never actually bought one of your books. So, and you've written 42 plus, I think, books. So you've written a few uh, on almost every major life topic, but I really dove in in the last 24 hours and really started looking at some of your stuff and was blown away. I'll be honest. I'm not usually blown away, but I was literally blown away. I, I listened to that podcast. Was it called Unstoppable? that you have on your website, you have a, like a 20 minute excerpt from a podcast. Wow. Phenomenal. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I thought about just releasing that podcast on this podcast. I was like, that was so well done. I was Thank like, you. you know what? I could save us both time and just release that. Cause it was just so well done. So I'm just going to assume that our listeners don't know who you are. Cause that's usually the best place to start. So uh, you're, you're a doctor, you're a doctor of chiropractic originally, but yeah. I would say, I would say you're, I mean, from just an intellectual standpoint, you're a doctor at, uh, across a lot of different categories. So uh, here, I'll just, I'll be quiet for a while and let you talk. You want to visit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Well, let's see. I started out with a speech impediment when I was a, one and a half years old and had to go to speech pathologist. Right. Wow. I had a deformed arm and leg. Mm -hmm. And had to have braces on my arm and leg for till I was four. Wow. Mm -hmm. I was told in first grade that I would, in front of my parents, that I would probably never be able to read, probably won't be able to write because I wrote backwards, mm -hmm. probably not be able to communicate effectively, probably not go very far in life, probably won't amount to much. <laughs> Don't you love that? Don't you love that story yeah. now? I, I, later. I, never gave, I, I never got the opportunity to give that lady a hug. Oh. <laughs> I lived on the street starting at age 13. Now, and, and I didn't hear the backstory of why, what was the catalyst for you? Actually, I've, I heard, I did, I have heard the story that you, you know, were kind of a surfer dude and kind of, you know, enjoying recreational stuff, but why were you out on the street at 13? It's a funny thing. It's a really funny story. Not what most people think. I was playing pool in my, we had a barn that had a pool table in it out in the uh -huh. country. And I, we were playing, my dad and I were playing pool. And I said, well, I need to go in and get cleaned up because I'm going into town tonight. The town was about 13 miles away. And I'd get on a bicycle and I'd go there or I'd hitchhike or I'd find a girl to pick me up and do it that was older. Right. And uh, my dad said, well, you know, you've been in town quite a bit this week. Well, I want you to stay home tonight. And I said, mm, I've got plans. And I didn't want to tell <laughs> the plans, but I got plans. And I, I'm going into town tonight. Now, what it really was happening is I had a buddy whose parents went out of town mm -hmm. and we we're having a party at this place and he had a girlfriend and I had a girl that's going to meet me there. And I didn't yep. want my dad to, the parents are out of town and we're going over there to kiss. Yep. 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 So I, I told my dad, no, I'm going into town. He says, no, you're going to stay home tonight. And he put the pool stick in my chest. He said, and Oops. that's final. And I said, and I took a pool stick and put it back in his chest. No, I'm going into town. And he said, well, if you go into town tonight, then you're on your own. You're a grown man and you made your decision. 
I said, well, I guess I'm a grown man. I'm making my decision, but I'm going into town tonight. I didn't know he'd be serious about it. Wow. So, uh, cause he was just trying to get me to stay home. Yeah. 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 No, a yeah. Thing, you know? Right. Right. So I packed my bags and I <laughs> go over to the guy's place. And then my dad was like, he was being trying to be firm. My mom was sitting and going, are you sure you want to do this? You know? <laughs> yeah, he was, she was trying to mediate the whole thing. Uh-huh. So I, um, I went over there and had my kissing night uh-huh. and st- stayed at his place for a couple nights and stayed in a bowling alley and a, a, a restaurant that was 24 hours and some friends' houses and in a park. And I just started, I figured out how to get by on the streets. Wow. And eventually moved out to Freeport, Texas to, to sleep on the beach because I, w- I was into surfing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Texas wasn't a surf capital. Right. So at 14, I hitchhiked out to California and down into Mexico to surf. Right. At 15, I, I panhandled enough money in Huntington Beach, California to make a trip over to Hawaii. And I slept under a pr- bridge at a Kamehameha Highway at Sunset Beach. Then I moved to Iakai Beach Park and slept under a little bar- park bench. Then I moved into a bathroom when it rained and into an abandoned car that I found. And I kept social climbing. And I was a surfer on the North Shore riding big waves by the time I was 15, 16, and 17. And then wow. I nearly died at 17. And uh, Surfing? Yes. Oh, wow. And in the recovery of that, I met Paul Bragg. Mm. And, in and Sunset Recreation Hall in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. And that one man in one night, in one hour inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning challenges and speaking mm-hmm. problems and someday become intelligent. And I had a dream that night that I would, I would become intelligent. I would learn how to speak properly and I would teach. Wow. And I had a dream to teach. And I actually created a, a that night I had a, an epiphany, a, a vision. And I, I, I can share it with you. I'd, I'd love to share yeah. it. Yeah, please. It, um, Let's see if I can find this picture. But I had an epiphany and I saw myself that night standing on a balcony in front of a million people with an iconic building from every major city around the world that got painted. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see it, but yeah, 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 yeah. No, I can see it now. Yeah. Oh, there, there we go. Uh huh. Huh. And that was your that, vision. That was the vision I saw when I was 17. Now the painter put me in a picture that was the age that he, that I met him. That was about right. 12 years ago. Right. That was the dream to, to go around the world. I had a dream to go to every country in the face of the earth and learn how to read, learn how to write, learn how to speak and share whatever I discovered with people to do what this man did for me that night with as many people as I could across the world. Wow. And I've now spoken well, next month will be 194 countries. Wow. You've been busy. I've been busy. Because what, what is there? There's, I want to say, is there only like 206 or 190? Yeah, there's, there's 200 something. Yeah, there's, there's not very many. It's like no, right I'm almost over two, there. You got a few in almost, Asia and a few in uh, Africa to go. And then you've been to every country on the face of the earth. Yeah. Wow. And one of the other interesting things, it, uh, and then, yes, if, if you're listening, if you're viewing, hang on, this is going to get this is going to get fun. But you've you've read over thirty thousand six hundred and fifty odd books. It's yeah, it's thirty thousand seven hundred something now. It's, they, there you go. When I found out how to read, see, mm-hmm. when I first came back from Hawaii and went back to Texas to see my parents at mm-hmm. age eighteen, 
I took a GED, a high school equivalency test. Mm-hmm. And Paul Bragg, I told him I didn't know how to read. And he said, that's not a problem. Just say this one thing to yourself every single day and never miss a day for the rest of your life. And I said, what's that? And he said, say, I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. Well, like I'm a long-haired hippie surfer guy with a beard and everything else. And I'm saying I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. And it's a pretty funny thing. But I've been, I've been saying that November 18th will be 51 years. I've said that every single day and never missed a day. Wow. I came back, I took a GED, I guessed, closed my eyes and put guess answers and somehow friggin' passed a high school equivalency test. It was a miracle. Right. I then tried to go back to school and I got a 27, 72 to pass. I got a 27. Didn't work the second time. <laughs> right. I was very distraught. I thought the whole thing was a delusion. I was really depressed. I went and cried on the living room floor. My mom came from in from shopping and saw me there and said, what happened, son? What, what, what the hell happened? Mm-hmm. I said, I blew the test. I got a 27. I needed 72 to pass. There's no way I'm going to be able to read or write or communicate, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I recited what my first grade teacher told me. Right. And my mom just froze and just sat there. And she said something that only a mom could say. Mm-hmm. She said, son, whether you become a great teacher, healer, and philosopher, and travel the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, or you return to the streets and panhandle, which you've also done, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what you decide to do. Mm-hmm. When she said that, my hand went into a fist. I looked up in my mind. And I saw that painting, not the painting, but the pic- the picture there, the painting. Right. Yeah. I saw the vision. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, with a determination, I'm going to master this thing called reading and learning and studying. Mm-hmm. I'm going to master this thing called teaching and philosophy and healing. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to get my service of love across this planet. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let any human being on this, on this planet stop me, not even myself. I got mm-hmm. up, I hugged my mom. I went into the room, my, my bedroom. I got a Funkin Wagnalls dictionary out. You pay, you buy $20 worth of food at Kroger. You get a, a dictionary <laughs> or an encyclopedia volume. Uh-huh. Okay. I got this thing. I started opening up the dictionary and I decided I was going to memorize 30 words a day. I would pronounce them. I would write them out in a sentence. I would spell them 30 words a day, recite them in a sentence over and over and over again. And my mom would test me on 30 words a day until my vocabulary grew 20,000 words in two years. Wow. And I was able to read within a short period of time. And when I found out I could read, that was amazing. Mm. And I never stopped reading since. And I got faster and faster and faster and more voluminous. And I started just devouring my, in fact, a year later, my mom asked me, what do you want for your birthday? Because I was born on Thanksgiving Day. What do you want for your birthday for Christmas? I said, Mom, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth from the greatest writers who've ever lived mm-hmm. around the world. She says, you sure you don't want a T-shirt? <laughs> I right. said, no, I want, I want the greatest ideas, the greatest body of work from the greatest minds ever lived. Well, let me see what I can do. So she contacted her brother, Uncle Ralph, we called him. And he was a professor at MIT and a physicist, chemist. Mm -hmm. And he sent to our house on a flatbed truck, 
two six by six by six foot wooden wow. crates with thousands of books in it. Oh my gosh. Massive library. And I remember opening it up with, they put them on the ground. I opened them up with a crowbar and took, dismantled it and just carried thousands of books and filled my room with books. And I went to work. Wow. And I just devoured everything I could and read everything on every topic I could in every field I could. I wanted to find the most universal knowledge, the principles that would stand the test of time from the greatest minds in every discipline to try to find the most universal knowledge. See, human laws are, are violatable, but universal laws aren't. I mm-hmm. want to build a body of knowledge on universal principles that would stand the test of time. So when I teach, I can stand on that and know that that will be solid. So mm-hmm. I've been working and studying and I figured I'll take all the disciplines. I made a list of every discipline that was known. And I would say, I made a commitment to read a hundred books on every discipline. And then I'd be a polymath because mm-hmm. Rene Descartes inspired me when I read his life about it. Mm-hmm. And I would basically devour that and find the most universal principles. And so I just went to work and started studying. I lived in libraries and sat and read this collection. And wow, I've never, I've never stopped. I read every single day for 50 well, you, plus years. You'd have to, to get that. Cause I did the math on 30,000 books. Um, it, it, it's a little, you know, it's a book, 1.67 books a day over a 50 year span. Oh, no, if you I, read I, every I day. Used to do, I used to do four to seven every morning. Is that right? Books? Sometimes 18 on a weekend. Wow. So you obviously are a speed, a speed reader. I mean, you're obviously. I, I, I developed a very, I, the most I ever read in one day was 11,000 pages. Wow. Okay. And so you're just absorbing because not only are you reading them, but from listening to some of your interviews and watching some of your stuff, you actually retain quite a bit of the information, right? If I read a book, I'm not retaining that much of that book. I'll be honest. But with you, you. you actually see most people don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know until I was 24 years old, something about retention of information. Okay. So I'm, I'm studying dentistry. I'm studying chiropractic and I'm studying oncology at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was doing three different specialties. Right. When I was doing the dentistry, I was doing lectures on dentists to dentists. I, I mean, it was, I was doing, I was 24 years old. I wasn't a doctor yet. I wasn't a dentist yet, but I was doing presentations to hundreds, even thousands of dentists by the time I was 24. And people were coming to them. Was, I, I was speaking at the Tri-County Dental Association. There are 400 <laughs> dentists there. And this guy threw a, a left fielder at me. He says, oh, where did you get that, that fact? Never heard of that. He was really a, uh, you know, a, uh-huh. a yeah, challenger. Yeah, and yeah. All of a sudden, in my mind, photographically, uh-huh. a page out of Gray's Anatomy just came right in front of my eyes, and I just read the page from Gray's Anatomy right back to him. And he goes, "Whoa!" And about seventy pieces of paper were thrown at the guy and said, "Let the guy speak." I was supposed to speak for thirty minutes. They gave me four hours. <laughs> and what was interesting is, at that moment, I realized something that was a massive breakthrough for me in learning. We have conscious knowledge. You know, we read, mm-hmm. we have conscious knowledge. And if we speed read, we have conscious knowledge. Mm-hmm. But we also have unconscious knowledge. Unconscious mm-hmm. knowledge. And, but it, it becomes conscious once it has a purpose to come into our awareness. Mm-hmm. So when, when he asked the question, mm-hmm. information that I wasn't aware that I was aware of, right. surfaced right on the spot. So from that day on, I didn't ever worry about it. I put the information in front of my eyes. I didn't worry about what I got consciously. I got a lot consciously, but I just knew that it was there. And I started to say that no matter what I read, I read, I retain. Whatever I read, I retain. I have a photographic, autographic mind, but whatever I read, I retain. And then I was able to just, when it was needed, it would come to the surface. 
And I used that over and over again. And I quit worrying about my conscious awareness and allowed the conscious and unconscious, the full conscious awareness. Because we have mm -hmm. way more than when we see a book, we're seeing the whole page. It's there in front of us. Right. right. But we're not we're not paying attention except to what we selectively filter out based on our value system. But the right. information's there. So I know how to now access that if I need it, when it's needed. So I love questions and answers program. When when I right. ask a question, then I get to discover what I didn't know. <laughs> I, do. I love it. So it's like a it's almost like you're the human internet. I, I think that should be a t-shirt for you now. The human well, internet. I started creating the Demartinipedia uh -huh. many years ago. Okay. Write an encyclopedia set because I wanted to study all the, you know, create an right. So I spent, I had a guy in my office for 15 years just typesetting that. Wow. Made a massive body of work, thousands and thousands of pages. And then friggin' <laughs> Wikipedia came out and put me out of business. <laughs> I couldn't compete with Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. So many contributors, right? All over the world. Yeah, it was just, it was, and so I, I, but I have, at least I have the information. But right, right. Wikipedia can just left me in the dust compared to what I could do as an individual. <laughs> and so you've read all, and again, I, I kind of have a little bit of a preview because I've watched some of your stuff, but so you've read all these books. I didn't even know that there, you know, I like when it was framed ologies. You've studied over 299. And I, if you could find that one other, it'd be easier. You know, no, 300. 300. It's 300. Yeah, then, is it yeah, 300? Yeah. Okay. You found another good. So yeah. it was 299. You've studied 300 ologies and ologies biology, physiology, I mean, any ology that, mathematics, yeah, yeah, anything I could probably, anything I, cause I was thinking ologies, probably 20, 30 of them. Yeah. yeah right? There's 300. I, all of them. I keep a list of them. Do you really? Okay. And so you've literally intentionally studied, like you said, dentistry, you, you're a chiropractor, I think by degree, right? Yeah. My so degree with that, but I was doing dentistry and I, I had this bizarre situation occur. I went to this cancer prevention control association presentation one night. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to them. I said, well, how do you select speakers? And they said, well, sometimes they show up here. Sometimes we, we pursue them and find them. I said, well, if I were to do a presentation on cancer, could I do that? And they said, okay. So I did. Well, there was a very, very prestigious oncologist there that happened to come that night. Uh -huh. And he said, I'm involved in one of the biggest oncology. 1,000 oncologists from around the world come to the Shamrock Hilton for the MDM Anderson. Oh, uh -huh. we would, I would like for you to present what you have at that conference. I'm 24. <laughs> right. And I said, I said, yes, absolutely. I, I, right. I, I knew that I got more out of myself when I put myself through a challenge than if I, than if I did. Right. Right. So I made a commitment to read every book on oncology in Houston, Texas, by the time I got to that conference. Wow. So I devoured, I mean, a lot and I was pushed to speed read even faster just to make sure I was presenting it. Cause I, I had, Samuel Epstein and Van Nuys and all these specialists in oncology sitting in the front row. Right. And these are all the books that you're reading. So I'm, I'm making sure that I knew my stuff by the time I got there. And that pushed me to discover how much I could do. Cause I was knocking out oncology book after another one. Cause a lot of it's redundant. You know, you get right. 60% yeah. of it's the same thing. And then there's a few new things, you know, after a while you read enough of them, you go, okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, there's new something now. But I want to create an evolutionary theory of, of cancer at the time, which was mm -hmm. not heard of at the time, other than Otto Wartburg and, and Zent Georgie, who got an, their Nobel Prizes in that mm -hmm. area. I was amazed. The, the thing I was doing now is mainstream now, but it was, it was 40 years ago, mm -hmm. 44 years ago, 45 mm -hmm. almost. 
and and it, it, now it's mainstream. I was so we, the work I did was more than what the typical oncologists were doing. I was right. I was blown away. Right. They weren't even aware of some of the things that we came up with. So I was well received at this conference. I was 24 years old, and you should see the the laughter on their faces. So now we're going to hear from John D. Martin, who's a chiropractic student. Um, <laughs> On oncology. <laughs> they thought you were a stand-up comedian, I bet, right? They thought, what in the world is this? Yeah. They, they thought I was a comedian, like, what the hell is this? When right. I did a dental thing one time, I had about 70% of the people walk out when they introduced me. So <laughs> he's 24 years old, he's a student, he's going to be talking on dentistry. And I go, right. what? He's not even a dentist. What are we doing here? <laughs> but I ended up studying a particular field on Tim J. Tim Berman, Tim oh, I was probably more knowledgeable about that than any dentist in Houston by the time I got there, because huh. I, that wasn't a common specialty at the time in 1970. Right. right. But wow. I about everything that was available on that. I met with John Baldwin and Nathan Shore and Harold Gelb and all these cats that were the leaders in the field. And I got to hang out with them. Right. And I figured out how to, you know, deliver something that they never heard before. You were like AI before there was AI. <laughs> right. You were like, I mean, you were like human AI. You're like a human. Well, like, no, I just, I just had a, a desire to learn and I, and I grabbed every challenge I could mm -hmm. to, and, and plus I was interested. I wanted to know, I was interested when I was studying pathology, I, it, it kept saying etiology unknown. We don't know the cause of this. We don't know why right. this conditions there. That was assigned to me. That's like, tick, find that, find the right. solution. Cause the ones you know is already known. You're just memorizing stuff, but let's go and find some solutions. So I started studying applied physiology and, studying endocrinology and neurology and i'm writing a new textbook right now on in, in on neurology and mm. and uh, so i i just i just love it all i just whatever i'm inspired by i i research and i devour it and i try to learn it and i'm amazed what what we can we can do with it and it, I, you know, people say well, well where's your specialty and i go life human behavior <laughs> well you can't do that you can't make a living now. I, I don't know i'm wealthier than anybody here tonight i know <laughs> you can't make a living doing it. <laughs> I, love it, I love it so you've read all this stuff you've spent all this time with these i would say big-brained people right all over the world when you and i'm sure you get this question all the time if you don't you should when you extrapolate all that down into the nuggets that everyday people like myself can use in their lives kind of what are some of those key nuggets that you're like everyone should know this and this and this everyone should know that that i mean or or have a either to help them you know i, I know you speak on per, you speak on all subjects but, but purpose and life. i mean i think a lot of people are struggling with purpose a lot of people right now are struggling with like depression or or you know just anxiety i mean the world has made a lot of people just very anxious yeah. And so what, uh, what are you speaking on now? What are you kind of in, information are you imparting now to people? Oh, I, it depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Could, well then today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It depends right now. We're just having a conversation, yeah, yes, yes. but you know, every human being, regardless of gender, culture, or age lives moment by moment mm -hmm. with a unique set of priorities or values things that are most to least important in their life that their life has led them to. That set of values, that hierarchy of values, whatever's highest on that list, the very most important highest value is intrinsic. And you spontaneously are inspired from within to act on and fulfill that highest value. Mine's teaching. Mm -hmm. 
But as you go down that list of values, it becomes gradually more extrinsic and you require motivation extrinsically in order to get you to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, a classic example is a kid that loves video games. You don't have a mother saying, now, Johnny, stop <laughs> doing your chores and do those video games. Right, right, right. He spontaneously does his video games, but the mother will have to say, now, if you don't do your chores, you can't play the video games. And if you do them, you get to play. Right. So she'll use extrinsic motivation to get her to get people to do something that's not priority to them, but they don't need it on things that are absolutely truly uh, highest on the priority. Right. So finding out what is highest in priority on my website, there's a value determination process. It's free. It's private. It's worth mm -hmm. taking the time to go through 13 questions to help you look at what your life objectively does, not what you fantasize, but what your life demonstrates is important to you to set those values because the hierarchy of your values dictates your perception, decisions, and actions, and therefore your destiny. And mm -hmm. you, you only have control over perception, decisions, and actions. So finding out what your value is one of the first steps in any endeavor if you want to master your life and live a purposeful life. Because your purpose is an expression of your highest value. My purpose is teaching. My highest value is teaching. Mm -hmm. My second highest value is learning. I learn right. the scholar that teaches. That's it. That's my highest value. <laughs> and, and anytime you do anything lower on your values, you devalue yourself. Anytime I, you stick to the very highest values, you inspire yourself. So I delegate everything. All I do is teach, research, write, and travel. That's it. I don't do anything else. I have people doing everything else. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I have drivers to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got people to wipe my butt almost. I, I <laughs> delegate everything that right. is not what inspires me so I can excel and build incremental momentum to create an unstoppable outcome by focusing on what's truly priority in your life. And so the highest value is the cornerstone of your ontological identity, your teleological purpose, your epistemological area of expertise is the thing that inspires you. That's where you want to target your focus. As Gary Keller says, find that one thing that makes you special in that one thing. Mine's mm -hmm. teaching and researching. Right. And it was interesting the way you phrased that your uh, everything your devalue once you get past the top priorities you're 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 devaluing yourself doing the rest of those things. Yeah, most people live by duty instead of design. Right. Right. They don't fill their day with high priority actions and inspire them, so it fills up with low priority distractions that don't. That are basically, you might say, projections of other people's values about how you should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be, have to be, must, need to be, instead of how you would love to be. And that's a quiet life of desperation instead of life of inspiration. And don't you think that's what's going on? Don't you think we see a lot of that? Isn't that causing a lot of conflict in the world right now? Or what do you think is causing all the conflict? Maybe you don't see any conflict. Well, I always <laughs> say that, you know, the pairs of opposites support and challenge positive negatives. All pairs of opposites are always born together. As Heraclitus right. said 2,500 years ago, that's not, we don't need to improve upon his teachings on that. But right. I, I know that when people are living by the highest values, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, the executive center comes mm -hmm. online, they become more objective, they're more sustainable fair exchange, they're more service-oriented, more philanthropic. But when they're not doing what's highest, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the amygdala. There they want to avoid pain, seek pleasure, avoid predator, seek prey. They're an mm -hmm. impulse to, to seek and an instinct to avoid. And as a result of they look for immediate gratification instead of long-term vision. And they want a quick fix instead of go out and inspire. And so most people are there. And when they do, they get addicted to being proud and right and project that onto other people. And everybody's doing that. There's conflict. Got a lot it. of the conflict comes from people not being inspired by their life. Right. Lack of inspiration, lack of purpose, right? Yeah. How do you work with people or how do you encourage people then to lean into 
their purpose and being inspired. Because I think if, if people knew how to do it, they do it. I would, I believe, I mean, I believe that they, if, if they really truly felt like if there was more examples, I guess, in the world that people steps that people could follow or something, but I'll just leave well, it they, open-ended. They're so accustomed, you know, there was a book called the denial of death, Ernest Becker. Mm-hmm. And he said that there were two pathways of immortality because people had this anxiety of dying, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they had this path of immortality. One was the individual path. One was the collective path. The collective path is the one that most people follow. I better fit in because I won't do well on my own, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't make a difference fitting in. You make a difference standing out. Mm-hmm. So in order to stand out, you have to have, you know, a, a, the whole world may have to be against you in order to stand up and be original. I mean, mm-hmm. look at what a, what Elon Musk did. He had mm-hmm. a love for all these astronomers and people at NASA to try to, you know, help him do what he wanted to do. But they, let, they naysayed him mm-hmm. and he just kept going. He said, I don't ever give up. I'm going on thing. And now they use his equipment to go to Mars. So he just, the, the individual path, the unborrowed visionary, few people are willing to have the courage to go that path. But that's what happens when you live by your highest values. You create an original path. You blaze an unborrowed vision. People who don't do that follow. And, mm-hmm. they, and I'd rather, instead of following a culture, I'd rather build a culture. Mm-hmm. And so most people are used to fitting in because they don't want to be rejected. And they don't want to be second, you know, they don't want to be, you know, um, you know, ridiculed by people. And mm-hmm. so that stops people. But to me, if you're not being crucified, you're probably not on purpose. <laughs> you're not, if you're not rattling things, you know, right. you're not on purpose. Right. I, I got lots of people saying, well, you can't be a, a specialist in so many areas. And I said, okay, thank you for your opinion. Right? <laughs> right, I'm but doing I am. it. Right, I'm right. doing it than to listen to that, you know? Right, right. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and so, so what's your understanding? And again, I'm referencing some of the past stuff that I've seen. What's your understanding of the individual's purpose? And then how does that relate to community and God? Okay. Well, if you're living by your highest value, you would love, think about this, when you're doing something that's deeply meaningful, that's really inspiring to you, mm-hmm. the second you achieve what you're setting out to do, you tend to want to achieve something greater. So right. It's a spontaneous thing. Right. But what, do you, what is achievement? It's solving a problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's finding it and solving a problem. Now, the greater the problems you solve, the greater your life you live. So people live in their amygdala, they want to avoid problems and look for ease. Right. People living by their highest value pursue problems, pursue challenges that inspire them and innovate creativity and genius. So the question is, is what inspires you? What's, what problems? See, I'm in the human behavior field mainly. Mm-hmm. So I love solving problems, depression, anxiety. Those are simple things. Grief. I, I know how to deal with that. You know, I'm not a good engineer necessarily. I don't do as much on the engineering. I study engineering, I study the physics and mechanics and stuff, but I love the engineering of human behavior. Right. Engineering right. of life. And right. using it, applying it that way and putting forces together that way. Mm-hmm. But, but if you go and pursue something that's deeply meaningful, you will then not want to avoid challenges. You'll be looking for challenges and problems in the world that you would love to solve. Mm-hmm. And that's the key to financial return. That's the key to fulfillment. That's the key to, to making a difference socially. I mean, there's so many benefits that come out of pursuing challenges that inspire you that you want to find that niche that you can do and make a contribution in directly or indirectly in. and pursuing that, that means that you have to care enough about a human being 
Mm-hmm. You know, the Book of Wealth by Hubert L. Bancroft, written in 1895, it said, there are three things found in the most, com- most wealthiest people in history. One was that they felt by divine providence and human sovereignty that they were destined to serve vast numbers of people. Mm-hmm. If you feel that you have, when you're living by your highest values, you have, a, you have a yearning to want to contribute. You have a yearning to be philanthropic. You have a yearning to want to take whatever you know and embrace and share it in a way where it can be of service to people. So that's a very empowering thing to be able to pursue. Mm-hmm. And that's the relationship of you and society. And everybody out there is a reflection of you. If you infatuate with somebody, you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, but you actually have the trait you admire, but you have, you're too humble to admit it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's time to not stand in their, in their shadows, but to stand on their shoulders by looking inside you for where you have what you see in them and wake mm-hmm. it up and stand on their shoulders and then appreciate them for realizing what you've been denying in yourself. The same mm-hmm. thing for the person you resent. They're there. If they're resenting somebody, it's because it's reminding you of something you're too proud to admit you have, but you feel ashamed of, and they're bringing it out. That's why you're resenting them because they're going to bring out something you want to hide. Right. If you realize that and go and own it and look at where you do it and find out the benefits of it and find out that everything is needed in the journey. You're not here to be a one-sided individual. You're here to be all the, all the parts. I don't, I'm not a nice person or a mean person. I'm a human being that has nice and mean, depending on the situation. <laughs> And so you want to embrace all of it. How are you going to love yourself getting rid of half of yourself? So society gives you the ability to reflect and discover the parts you haven't loved in yourself and gives you an opportunity to love it more deeply so you can bring more of love and service to the world. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the other question, you said society, then God. Yeah. To me, God is not an anthropomorphic deity that's made up in human minds based on some phobia that you want and something philic that you want to go and rescue yourself from. It's the field of intelligence. It's a panpsychic field of intelligence is permeating everything as Einstein or Schopenhauer and, and Spinoza described. It's a universal intelligence that's, that's inherent inside the laws of the universe that are manifested impersonally or impersonally in people's lives that allow us to be able to learn the laws of the universe and feel communion and connection with. And to mm-hmm. me, that's the, the highest level. Otherwise, we get into a little morally hypocritical anthropomorphic little thing that's thousands of been have been extinct over the years following so i'm a believer in a more of a universal mathematical expression of the intelligence of the universe intelligence means that it's not some some you know rules that say thou shalt now thou shalt not, not as nietzsche was trying to say don't live with the oughts live with the is it's basically the magnificent laws of the universe that we can do and if we live by and apply and we get unbelievable results in our life Einstein said, it's enough for me on a daily basis to sit in awe and explore the magnificent intelligence that permeates the universe. I'm more of that kind of construct, not Mm -hmm. not some anthropomorphic deity that's punishing, rewarding, and based on (laughs) Homer and Hesiod's uh, idea of an anthropomorphism. Xenophanes Xenophanes noticed in his time way back 2,600 years ago, 500 years ago, he he said, I noticed that everybody has gods in their own images. (laughs) The Africans right. have an African god, the Creeks right. have a Greek god, you know. So I'm not interested in those local tribal thinkings. I'm interested in a universal intelligence inside the universe. And intelligence has a conservation. You can never build or destroy it. It's part of the physics and energy of life. And I, mm-hmm. I just want to know the laws that govern that and, and then honor those laws and, ha- and not put any limit on the structure of what that might look like in some personification. Mm-hmm. That's some reflection. 
of of the society in which has created that God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. I studied I studied three thousand different religions. I went through all these. <laughs> oh my gosh! Religions and rewrote three thousand. Yeah, three thousand. There's three thousand, at least fifty thousand followers or more. So wow. I went through all those, and and I rewrote rewrote I rewrote the Bible and I rewrote the Quran mm -hmm. and I rewrote the Popol Vuh and the Tibetan Book of the Dead and all these texts. Mm -hmm. Book flow. It just because I want to cross-reference them to uh -huh. help people see that there's something beyond the box. Right. We don't need to be in a box. We can we can we can explore the magnificence of the universe. So I was interested in that. Beautiful, beautiful. And you talk about this law of I think when you were asked the question, what's what's the greatest law you've discovered or something, the the many to the one and the one to the many. Yes. You want to just do you want to because I've got it, I've, I've had an experience of that or or I've had a thought of that a long time ago. And so I'm just if you help. Let's explain what that is, I guess, or you explain it since it's your. Well, you could, there's got so many applications. I mean, every discipline has a different application. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you some applications. Well, let's just do uh, socially first. Mm -hmm. When you're dating many, you're looking for the special one. Once you get the one, you're wondering about the many. Right. <laughs> right. That's a simple one. Everybody go, yeah. I I'm not going to, I'm not going to agree with you on that because I'm happily married, but I yeah. understand what you're saying. <laughs> but, but you do, well, you compare her sometimes. <laughs> I'm joking. That's, that's yes, supposed yes. to be a good joke. Yes, that but, is a um, good joke. But radiation and gravitation, radiation is going from one into radii mm -hmm. that goes into many. Mm -hmm. And gravity is going from many back into one. So radiation and gravitation, which are two fundamental forces of the universe, are electromagnetism and gravitational, are basically a law applied based on the one and the many and the many and the one. From the mm -hmm. one come the many and from the many come the one. That's just one of them. So in, basically an expansion contraction system. But we have monarchies and democracies, one and many ruling mm -hmm. systems, mm -hmm. right? Then yep. both extreme can lead to some sort of tyranny. Right. But both of them together, join together. Most revolutions are trying to put the integration and androgyny between the two because one's more patriarchal, one's matristic. And so they're being they're joined together for a synthesis. Right. So the law of the one and many and the law of complementary opposites, which Heraclitus described and Parmenides described, are still two basic principles of polarity. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have something without its opposite. They're always paired right. like a magnet. So the law of the one and many means if it's concentrated, it's one. If it's dispersed, it's many. But there's always a pair of opposites and it's constantly transforming. And the involvement, the evolution of, of the universe, you might say, is nothing but the law of those two laws overlapping. So those are two very important laws. The laws of, of pairs of opposites and the mm -hmm. laws of one to many. And the law and of evolution, which is the transformation of them going from one to many and many to one. And when we look at the scope of human history, it seems to me that we started with the one. If we, and we, I'm just going to use the, I have a Christian lens to look through. So I'm just going to use a Christian lens. So we kind of look, if we look back and we say, okay, the Garden of Eden, you know, there was God and then there were the two human beings, and, and, but they were, they, they interacted as one. And well, it, it was in the, the, in the 13th century, there was uh, the Kabbalistic mysticism relating to that Genesis. And it basically said that there was Adam Kudman. It was Adam Kudman, which was a synthesis of male and female in an androgynous oh. hole underneath mm -hmm. En Sof, which is wisdom. And okay. that was the light and the Sephiroth of light. And then from that, it divided into Adam and Eve, which is male and female. And right. then each of them had these pairs of opposites. So yes, that could be, if you looked at it from a Genesis perspective of a Judeo-Christian right. right. into Islam, then that would be the, the source. But the first one is the primordial boundary was the primordial boundary between self and other. So right. you get self, which is add on, come yeah. on, and then other, which is everything other than self. And the two together made up God, and God divided mm -hmm. into self and other. And from yes. self and other, 
this cell became divided into male and female. These are the divisions that were, were down. I right. call it, I call it re returning it back is called the retrogenesis process. I used to yes. Retrogenesis. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and I probably won't be able to repronounce what you just said, but in essence, where do you think we're at in the timeline where we've expanded out to the point where we have reached the, the turning point of that, then starting to return back into the one, have we reached that point? Well, I think that's individualized. Each individual okay. on some scale of awareness is playing in the game on this planet, which is an educational mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, this is an educational place where we come and learn, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so there's different people at the very bottom of the, of the barrel that's living in black and white. And there's people uh -huh. at the top that are living in love. And mm -hmm. so, which is a synthesis and synchronicity of all complementary opposites. Mm -hmm. And so there's gradations, but just like anything else, you can't have everybody at the top running a, a company, you, you have a, mm -hmm. you know, you have a CEO at the top, and you have people working in the factory, you might say. Mm -hmm. So there's right. a whole scale of social structure. And there's people rising up and people falling down along those social structures all the time. It depends on but, where we want to play. But do you think overall as a, as a, as humanity, are we, do you, do you think we ever are going back into the one completely or is it always I just I don't think kind we ever this... really left it. I think it's our awareness that's <laughs> left it. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, I would uh, say that I tell my students in my breakthrough experience, I said, look, nothing's missing in your life. And I said, uh, what do you think is missing? And I, well, this is missing. I said, well, what's the form it's in? And then I can show them every single time that nothing is missing. It's in a form that you have not aware of because it's not matching the fantasy form that you projected onto yourself about how it's supposed to be. And that's where they, people get trapped. They, they compare their current reality to a fantasy about how it's supposed to be and not appreciate their magnificence. <laughs> I literally could listen to you talk all day. I literally, it's just fun. It's just fun to play with these ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's talk about what you and and I we, I know we've got to wrap up. You've got another engagement here shortly, but what um, what do you typically work with individuals? You have this breakthrough experience. I noticed I looked on the thing. Most of it's online now. Is that right? You do? Yeah, no, we're doing one in London this week. I'm 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 in Houston, are, but I leave for London tomorrow. Well, okay. I'm leaving to my ship tomorrow, and then I'll get back to London on on the weekend. Right. And I'm doing a live program there because we've been doing a lot online. But I'll doing a live program there. But there, what I do is I, I give them principles all morning, just mm -hmm. principle after principle that's mind-blowing principles. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, I put them all into application. So they go and work and now apply the principles that they've just learned. Mm -hmm. And then they go through what I call the Demartini method, which is a, a method of helping people uncover the, un, the unconscious part of their life. And so they can see the hidden order in their apparent chaos. So they mm -hmm. realize nothing's missing in their life. And it's mind blowing because when they come in there and they think, well, I'm, I'm weak in here. I'm not doing mm -hmm. this. I should have done this. And they got all this noise. Mm -hmm. When they're done, they're just all of a sudden they go, it's in order. I said, it's mm -hmm. always been in order. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Leibniz called it a divine perfection. You know, he had a theological slant. Mm -hmm. David Bohm called it the implicate order. Mm -hmm. I, you know, Boltzmann and, and many of the people, um, uh, the people that were involved in thermodynamics, they had Clausius in them. They had they had ideas about this, the hidden order behind the, the chaos, the, right. the, the disorder. Well, so what I do is I show them how to ask questions, make them aware of what's unconscious, make them fully conscious. And all of a sudden they see a hidden order in their apparent chaos. And then they go, I just need to sit here for a minute because mm -hmm. the, the problems I thought I had aren't even really problems. I said, no, they're not. Everything is the feedback to guide you to the awareness that nothing's missing in your life and that an authentic life is that realization. Mm. And it's mind-blowing to people because all of a sudden they're, they're, this noise is gone. And mm -hmm. they're like, so then the question is, what do you want to create? Right, exactly. What do you want to create? 
not what do you think you should create, not what is right. it what you ought to create, what it's supposed to be, what it, what is in your heart that you want to bring to this world? Right. What is your value system spontaneously wanting to bouquet, bouquet its flowers mm -hmm. with? What does it want to express? Mm -hmm. And and it's and it's shocking to people who are not used to doing that. So used to all the noise and blaming things. And right. And it said, first we blame others, then we blame ourselves, then we realize there's nothing to blame. Nothing right. to or give credit to. It's just something to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the breakthrough experience is a very powerful 26 hours intensely dealing with me. <laughs> it's 26 hours of kind of mind-blowing information on what, what the hell you want to do with your life. It's your life. There's right. no rules out there. The rules are only whoever has power sets the rules. You want to play in a power game? You set the rules. What do you want to play? Right. It's the rules of whoever you subordinate to. <laughs> you gave them the rules. You gave them the power to take the rules of your life. Where do you want to play? Hmm. Very interesting. Are you and and so right now most of this you are doing a few live engage or in person, but most of this is live online. Is that yeah, right? Live, is live online. Yeah. Live online. And then uh, are you doing any? I haven't, in I haven't done well with dead ones online. I haven't done <laughs> that. didn't work so well. The, um, did uh, Are you doing any in-person in the States this year? I don't know. We're looking at maybe okay. there's the one in London's doing really well. There's a lot of people coming. So I'll mm -hmm. probably do it in the States, probably do it in Australia, maybe doing it in South Africa, but definitely oh, nice. next year. Next year, I'm definitely doing oh, it. Next, okay, next year. Okay, that works. But I'm and then, this, this year too. We'll say, okay. we'll, 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 next, next couple of weeks, we'll make some decisions on that. Yeah, we'd love, I'd love to, yeah, know, and we'd be happy to put that out to our listeners if you do do so. I, obviously, you can go to your website, which is uh, drdmartini.com and find all the stuff that we've been talking about and some great videos on there as well. Why on earth, just for my own knowledge, what kind of boat do you live on and why? Oh, gosh. I know we don't have a ton of time, but why? why do I mean, how many minutes I got? I got three we, minutes. We got a few. We got a few. Okay. Uh, in 1999, I was in a dental office and I was... I talked to this dentist and I was outside waiting for him and I saw this little Rob report, right? Uh -huh. yeah, I yeah. Flipped through it and I saw this advertisement for the ship called the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a condominium ship, a private mm -hmm. condominium yeah. ship for a handful of people. Yeah. You know. It travels thought, the world. Cool. Yeah. The world. Yeah. So I thought that's cool. And then I kind of tore it out of there. You know how you steal pieces out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I pulled it out and I showed my wife, she's that's pretty cool. But it was only 27% occupied in 1999. So I thought it's a little risky at this stage, uh -huh. you know, because it could fold and it may not do it. And you right. and all that. So I waited. 2001 came. We were living in Trump Tower right underneath mm -hmm. the dome. And uh -huh. all of a sudden, 9-11 hits. And my wife got trapped on the streets. They, they shut the building down. She couldn't go. Right. Right. She got a helicopter. A private helicopter got out of town and went to Philly, Philly to LA, LA off to Australia. Or we had a home in Australia, too. So... Right. She flew to Australia. I was there speaking in Perth on the day 9-11 hit. Right. So I am uh, I meet with her there. And I said, she, she said to me, she says, I don't want to go back to New York for a while. I want to just lay low. It's a weird mm -hmm. energy there. I said, so good. Well, if you're here, I'm only scheduled to be here four times a year this on tour. So I'm not going to see you unless we rendezvous. We have to come up with something. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know that ship? My friend said that her former husband just went to investigate that ship. And he's in town. Would you want to meet with him? I said, absolutely. So we went to dinner with Mike Tolts and mm -hmm. Mike went and did all the due diligence on the thing. Uh -huh. I was absolutely convinced that was a win. So the next morning as an anniversary present, I bought it for my wife and I to, to go and live together so we could rendezvous easier than sitting in a place in Australia. 
So I bought that 22 years ago in October, and I've been on there ever since. It didn't launch until 2002, but once it launched, I've been on there for 21 years. I'm one of the longest presidents. And so you live full-time on, well, full-time, when you're not traveling. Your home home is on on the ship. My home's on the ship. It's It's the best address I've been able to find on Earth. I mean... I've said that the universe is my playground, the world is my home, every country's a room in the house, every city's a platform to share my heart and soul. And it allows me to go around the world. I get to teach on Zoom or live. And if I get off sometimes in the ports, I do presentations. Uh-huh. And it's it's the perfect address for what I do. I love it. I love it. I love it. Leave us with some type of you are the wisdom man. I don't so leave us with some part of so impart us with some final wisdom. If this was the last message you were ever going to be able to, to give to all 8 billion other humans. I'm, if you think we're humans, I don't even know if you think we are, but the other 8 billion reflections of you, um, what would you tell all 8 billion of us? I would tell them that the magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasy you'll ever impose on yourself. Hmm. So don't live in the shadows of anyone. Don't subordinate to anybody. Give yourself permission to shine, not shrink. And give yourself permission to go and identify what's truly intrinsically meaningful to you and start structuring your life by priority according to that. And learn to surround yourself with people that would love to do the things you want to delegate to free you up to actually exemplify an amazing and inspired life. Do that. And it's totally livable. <laughs> Absolutely livable. So master your, scale, your, your own life that way. And don't accept anything less than what you're truly destined to be able to do. You're capable of doing something extraordinary. Give yourself permission to be extraordinary. And that whole, this whole show has been a, a mic drop, but that's definitely a mic drop. So Dr. Martini, thank you so much. It has truly been a privilege and an honor, uh, to, one, just to meet you and to be able to have this conversation and just to know you're in the world now and that you're doing doing this work. And it's just been uh, very inspiring. I'm sure I'm going to rewatch. I don't rewatch many of my shows just because we do you know a lot of them, but I'm definitely going to rewatch this. This is this this has been a most interesting in a very great way of, uh, podcast. So thank you so much for spending the time to come on shows like this. If something comes up and you just want to visit, I'd love to wrap with you and have you back on the show anytime. 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 You're always a friend of the show. Just contact my publisher. I would absolutely love it. Anytime you want. That's what I'm I'm here for, to do whatever I can to, to research, write, travel, and teach. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. God bless you. And just well, if, if that's appropriate, if you're okay with that. Hey, I, 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 like I said, I'm not, not going to limit it to an anthropomorphic deity, but I am going to acknowledge that there's a magnificent intelligence in the universe, and I'm very grateful for that on a daily basis. When yes. human will matches divine will, grace is born. There we go. Well, happy grace to you then. Yes. And uh, I look forward to learning more about your work and, and what you do uh, just in my own study. So thank you so much for being in such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.